Welcome to the Disability Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people living with disabilities. We hear about their life, learn tips, tricks and share ideas to help each other and our listeners with new ideas to solve real world obstacles. So let's not waste any time and jump right into it. So today we have Hollis Pierce with us and as I am not very good at introductions, I will let him introduce himself and why we're here today. Uh, yes, well, uh, thank you, Tristan, for that lovely introduction. Um, yeah, uh, as you say, my name is uh, Hollis Pierce. Um, I am 35 years old and I live in Ottawa, Ontario, which is the capital city of Canada. Um, and uh, you and I met um, because I myself uh, am also launching my own uh, podcast, uh, which is out now uh, on Spotify and some other um, platforms called 21st Century Disability. And uh, it's all about how uh, the modern world is changing perspectives about disability. Um, it's just because uh, I've launched it because I, I myself um, and I have congenital muscular dystrophy and uh, throughout my uh, university degree, I've, uh, I learned about, a lot about disability and I changed my perspectives on disability even. And uh, yeah, yeah, I learned about, a lot about myself and a lot about uh, how I treat others also. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I found that during university, that's the time when a lot of people seem to change or sort of motivate, well, not motivate their minds, but change their minds and become more learned. I think that's the nice word, nice way to put it. They become more learned and open to new ideas, especially during university. And that time when, you know, they're starting to get out from underneath the school system and starting to explore what they want to explore. Absolutely. And I find, like you said, uh, getting out from underneath the school system and the school system, um, I don't know uh, what it's like or it was like for you, Tristan, in uh, the UK, but I know um, for me in uh, in Canada, um, most of my, well, most of my, uh, Elementary and high school uh, learning was done in Ontario, and uh, it sucked. Um, I I won't lie. Uh, one of my schools, even like when I was in elementary school, like grade one or two, um, I accepted my sister immediately, who was fully able-bodied, and did not want to accept me um as a student because then they would have to uh go out of their way to hire uh, an educational assistant and they didn't want to go through that process. Yeah. yeah i mean and, they have to make the necessary adaptations and all these exactly. things which i mean when i mean i've noticed that when you actually do them they're not that it's not that much. And once they're there, they're there. So any future people with disabilities can make advantage of, can take advantage of them. So it's not like they have to put in the investment for one person and make the same investment again and again and again. So I honestly don't understand why schools, I mean, yes, they have to put up the funding, but after they put up the funding, then they're widening if you want to just talk about it financially for them, they're widening their attachment basis and being more inclusive in the, in the process. So when they make the excuse that it's, you know, too, too much effort for them, they don't know what they're doing. Then I just look at them and just say, it's not that hard. It's just a few things here and there ramps and things. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. one educational assistant, Exactly. But once you have that, then you can start. Yeah, once they've made the investment, 
I don't see the drawback for the institutions themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which, yeah. So I don't, I mean, I, from London, I never really needed that many adaptations. My sort of bad experiences in school was specifically down when I wanted to play sport. I was, I mean, I play cricket. I'm very, I'm quite good at cricket. And at the time I was playing for clubs and county level, which is two steps underneath nationals. Oh, wow. Quite a high level. But the school, I don't know if it was that they were afraid that I was going to get injured or something. But I played one game in the whole season for them and it was the last game of the season so Uh, it felt like you know let's throw him a bone or something so I wasn't really sure if that if they were scared or if they didn't want to put me in I mean that was my experiences at school like disability wise because most of the time it was fine it was just when it was down to sport that they seemed to I don't know, treat me with very soft hands, let's say. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I know from my experience, uh, especially in um, in high school, uh, you know, phys ed class was something that I just did not go to because they did not want to take the time and effort to figure out ways to get me involved. Um, and they would just they would just solely solely bring me in for uh, you know, when they were talking about uh, sex education and health class. And uh, mm. so it was sort of randomly um, spurted throughout the year. And, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to find, uh, different ways of help, of helping me, uh, be physically active, which I found frustrating because like you say, you, uh, outside of school, you were participating in a high level of sports, just like, uh, Myself, I was also outside of school participating in a high level sport, but um, I was playing uh, power hockey, which is like full contact hockey in power chairs. Uh, Does sound fun. Yeah, it's almost like bumper car hockey. It's like that, like that video game Rocket League, you know. Um, what is like soccer with like bouncing cars together? <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, and I'm still playing that today. And uh, but now though, now I play in a in a more um in a league that's a bit more like uh like slow Pardon? A lead that's yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, so it's non-contact, and it's obviously contact happens, but you're not allowed to purposely Purposely, back into uh, another individual. And I remember um, I myself was uh, a bit frustrated because I played power hockey um, as an 11-year-old in Calgary. And then when I moved to Ottawa, there was no hockey week here. So over a course of a decade, I slowly began to build more and more of a group of friends together and we formed uh, a league together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a similar experience here in London. So I have traveled for the past, I don't know, 15, well, more, 15 years or more, the place I play cricket. It's an hour to an hour and a half away. I have done that for every weekend in the summer for 15 years. And 
because there's just nothing closer to London. Even now, where disability sport is getting more of a spotlight on itself, the closest place is still an hour away. Mm-hmm. Just because the place I it's closer, but you know London traffic. Just because the place I go to is down the motorway, you know, you're just traveling at seventy miles an hour, you get there quicker. So there's so many. I mean, I'm not sure if you know about London, but London has a lot of green spaces. There's a lot of places to do sport. So I don't know what the. I mean, I'm looking into it, but I don't know what the sort of barrier is to opening like a community club or something just you know you start with a community club then you build it from there Mm -hmm. just so i think it's all about you build the social side of it first then you build the competitive side Mm -hmm. then but no one i've realized no one apart from me seems to have an interest at the moment yeah I mean, I may be wrong. They're probably out there, but I have to find them first. Well, yeah, and that's a difficult thing to do is recruitment. And uh, our new league is, as you say, is very small at, at this moment in time. Um, just because we haven't found that, that way of uh, recruiting yet. Um, and a lot of our players, honest to be honest, are from uh, the old hockey league where it's full contact, and um, and that is because a lot of those players are on the older side now and can't handle um, that amount of you know energy it takes to uh, play at that. Um, you, you know, it's still a competitive high level, but um, having full contact is even more energy. It does take a... I mean, luckily, cricket is not full contact, but I can imagine it does take a toll, especially when someone gets older. But then you yeah. never... I suppose, you, I mean, you never lose the... Um, you know, you never want to stop playing the game. So... You always find you find alternatives, which is what you're providing, I suppose, in this situation. Even though, I mean, it's also because we have disability wheelchair cricket now, and a portion of that squad and of that lead are able-bodied people put into wheelchairs because they want to play the game no matter what. They want to socialize. They want to have fun. That's what it boils down to, in my opinion. Yeah. So they don't mind getting pushed into a, you know, getting into a wheelchair. They are much worse in a wheelchair because they're not used to it. <laughs> but it's just, they just want to have fun at the end of the day. And then by doing that, they build that sort of squad itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly um, about uh, including able-bodied individuals in the disabled sport. Because uh, you know they don't, they might not realize how uh, how challenging it is to uh, still play a sport while driving a, a fast chair. But then again, if the roles were reversed, I would find it personally mind-bogglingly difficult to. Uh, Sorry, this is what I always like to say: to be running on chopsticks and and playing, you know, football or hockey or yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's whatever you're used to at the end of the day, isn't it? Exactly. You get used to stuff eventually, but yeah, yeah if you just, for example, just jumped out out of your chair, and stuff, you'd be, <laughs> you wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. And yeah, I tried to I tried to play wheelchair cricket once. I, sat in, I, I mean, I can't use my left arm, so I was useless. I couldn't move at all because it's just... But the whole... Everything that I've been taught was useless. Yeah. I know how to swing the bat, but, you know, 
you swing it in a way, but oh no, there's a wheelchair in the way now, so you have to change everything. It's really yeah. fun, but it can just just a whole different technique. Yeah, I remember in my old league, we used to have like uh, once a year we would have celebrity games, and so we would bring in local celebrities, whether it was like radio DJs or couple times we had local politicians and and things like that. We had the mayor of Ottawa and a couple members of parliament as well. And they, they would be laughing on their faces because they couldn't get out from a corner with, uh, with a chair. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... The funny thing is we laugh at it now, but it also, it's also... I mean, I think it's good anyway because you mentioned that all these high-profile people come and try it and then they realize how difficult life can be just going about day-to-day life anyway. So mm-hmm. at the end, when all things drawn to a close, they realize, oh, now I get to go home and act you know, normally in inverted commas. But yeah, these people... They just have to continue doing what they do. So I think it's good for the awareness and for, you know, political movement, shall we say? Yeah, no, absolutely it is. Um, and, you know, I, my, I myself am just learning about the concept of uh, what some people refer to as, you know, trip time, um, meaning like how it takes someone with a physical disability X amount of time longer than it does uh, a perfectly able-bodied or non-disabled individual to do something basic like get dressed. It's it's almost like golf. In my mind, it's similar to to golf where, you know, you would have a, a handicap of nine strokes to uh, be kind of level with the person you're playing with. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's... Does that make sense? That made sense. That's a good analysis, yeah. I mean, I have... I mean, if you listen to one of my previous podcasts, I had a, a great guest on, and he said when being with a disability is like you have a certain number of spoons in a day and then every activity you use one of these spoons and then once you're done with the spoons you're done you can't yeah do anything that day so even if you wanted to just physically can't and you know doing exercise and sport gives you more spoons but still at the end of the day the spoons there's not many of them yeah, absolutely. I, I remember that episode quite well. I, I love, well, personally, Tristan, I love your podcast, and I love every episode, um, and I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, and um, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly that like yesterday um, was an example of that for me. I had an appointment. I had, like, an echocardiogram. Uh, earlier in the day at like 8.30 a.m. And I had to be up at 6 a.m. And I had to be on the transport by, you know, 7.30. And it was, and then I was back here by 10 a.m. And then I had to try out my new wheelchair for a bit in in the evening or in the early afternoon but after that i was just dead so i couldn't do you know i knew i had things to do like uh communicate with emails and do banking and um and things like that but i i was just gone and so i could i all i had energy for (laughs) was uh, you know, watching TV or listening to my audiobook or yeah. playing PlayStation. Yeah. I mean, I went through a period 
it was just after COVID that for some reason I seemed to have lots of energy, but then at about two to four, my energy just crashed. No matter what I did, my energy just crashed. Mm -hmm. So I had to have a nap. Once I had the nap, it felt like I've been sleeping for 12 hours and I was up and had the most energy I've ever had, you know, for the really? past. It was, it was really strange. I went to the doctors. They thought it was something to do with my epilepsy, had blood tests, all of this stuff. Everything was fine. So then, I mean, I still don't know what it is or it doesn't happen so much. It's occasionally still happens. Yeah. But I mean, I've just kind of worked because I don't have a normal nine to five. I just sort of worked into my day now. Mm -hmm. But on the good side, it makes me sort of be able to work till eight, nine o'clock or do be productive till eight, nine o'clock in the evening if I wanted to. Yeah. On the downside, I have to have a nap between two and three or three and four. Yeah. Yeah. And if I don't, I become useless at everything. Yeah. Well, and I find like even, even the able-bodied individuals would say things like that because, you know, if they didn't, I, I know, uh, I personally, as you can tell, if you're showing the video of this interview, I am living in a, a long-term chronic care facility. Um, and a lot of the nurses here, if they don't get their hour-long break where they eat or sleep or do both, uh, they're dead like by and useless. By the end of their, uh, by the end of their day. Mm. I mean, yeah, yeah. Their jobs must be very tiresome. I can imagine. Yeah, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, I think, um, what individuals, what disabled individuals need to remember is that. Yes, it may seem like um, other people are doing so much more than than you as a disabled person, but at the same time, your body or your mind can only contain a certain amount of, as you say, spoons for a day. Um, and it may be fewer spoons than the average person, but that's that's not a bad thing. That's just reality. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, that does make sense. Everyone has their limit at the end of the day. So I just think it changes from person to person. I think disability or not, they all it all affects everyone. Mm -hmm. So what would you advise then if people have a similar condition or people have a wheelchair or a similar condition like yourself. Is there anything that you like? What's your top three suggestions? Let's do a top three, top three suggestions for, you know, making the day easier, shall we say? Yeah. Um, well, to be honest, like, um, in my, again, going back to earlier in our conversation, uh, I learned a lot about myself in university. And in university, I really uh, realized that I only had about three hours in my day that maybe four if I put like a small uh, break, as you say, uh, for you. Um, uh, to do what I wanted to. And that's why it took me like an extra year to do, to write my thesis in when I was doing, uh, when I was in graduate school. Um, uh, so I was, I would say, first of all, uh, be accepting of your own abilities and realize um, what you are capable of doing and what um and and then how best to uh accommodate your um 
your goals in the day. Uh, and just be like, okay, well, I want to do this, this, and this today. Or just this and this because one of those things might be a bigger thing. Um, like a few weeks ago, uh, I was um, trying to change my bank, uh, my bank uh, companies. And um, I can't remember if I told you the story already, but like I had such complicated issues that um, I'm, uh, that I had to go to seven different banks with locations in a single day. And seven. seven. And they were just like, they were, they were like the same banks, but I, I was just constantly going back and forth, back and forth. And like the only reason why I could have the energy for that was that it was a beautiful day outside and I wanted to be outside anyway. So it was just providing me with uh, a direction. nice Exactly. And a nice walk in between. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've noticed that does help when the weather is nice. It's like a weight is always lifted off your shoulders. And it's just easier to do things. Yeah. But I think it's also good to tell people that if you set out that you're going to do, let's say, three tasks in a day, but you still only manage to do two, don't get disheartened that you've only done two and you wanted to do three. Yeah, exactly. Because... And, and maybe learn to set priorities for, okay, but which of those three things is most important? And which of these three things can I get by and feel good about myself um, with leaving behind one of them until like the next day or later in the week? Yeah, prioritize. I think for me though, the problem is I like, I used, well, I used to procrastinate a lot I'm getting better, but it's still a big thing with me is procrastination. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do suffer from procrastination. I mean, I procrastinate in a weird way. So I procrastinate by doing other work. So yeah. I, don't, I like to be busy all the time. And if I'm not busy, I make stuff work. For, I make work for myself. Yeah. But... I might be doing something and then I start procrastinating on that task and then go to a different task to procrastinate on that task. And then, so I end up with doing three things and they're all 80% complete, for example. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's good when you're first starting them, but then you have to finish them. I don't know. Maybe it's just, I don't like finishing stuff, which is. Yeah. Hey, no, I, I agree completely with you, and like I, uh, I'll be thinking about oh, I want to do things about this episode, or I want to do this episode so much uh, right now, but it's so complicated to start. So I, I'll do another completely different episode in the meantime, and then procrastinate about that episode, and I'll, I'll finish this one, and I'm like. Uh, no, I want to do this one still, and and then and then it snowballs. And yeah, then, then nothing gets done at the end. Exactly, and then, or you know you get lost in um, doing other different non-related stuff, like uh, you know checking your clearing your email inbox, or that's what I that's what I really get lost in is like oh okay well. I, I don't really have the energy to do this, but I'm still going to clear my inbox. And whereas that's me, it's, it's more so me telling myself that um, I don't want to spend time doing this. So I'm just going to do this minor task and pretend that I'm still accomplishing something. <laughs> I mean... It will help in the future because you're, you know, more organized, but I can yeah. definitely, I can definitely relate to it because it can be, sometimes you just want to work on a fresh desk. Yeah. You know? And the email is basically a cluttered desk in, in these modern times. So, yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, I can, I can, I can completely understand sort of, and especially I think if we relate it back to sort of having disability, because we, you know, I'm sure you prefer to work on a computer. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely. Physically, I yeah. physically cannot write and. Oh, you physically cannot write. Yeah. I, well, I need like very specific positioning of myself and on my chair and then maybe like an, a, like a, something like a stack of books to, so I can see where I'm writing. So like, you know, signing. It's too much, it's too much effort. But it's... Yeah. So signing out papers, it's just like, well, no, I can't, I can't sign that. And that's one thing that I found extremely frustrating when I was at the bank a couple weeks ago. So they wanted me to sign forms. And I'm like, no, sorry, I physically cannot. And I'm like, can you just pick an X uh, for me or just type or just write my name down for me? And they're like, no, sorry, sir. It's for your safety. You need to do it. I'm like, well, I physically can't do it. So, and I, I physically can't reach where your hand is. And so... so yeah, what, did, what was the solution? The solution to that was, um, well, it, uh, there was... Well, during my interaction with her, there is this... You can cut this out if you want to. But during my interaction with her, there is this nut bar behind me and he was pacing up and down in the bank and yelling um you know you stole my money you stole my money i want my 60 dollars i want my 60 dollars you stole my money and you know the manager came in and then uh he's like sorry sir we don't have your money um uh if but please uh down and um, otherwise we'll have to call the police. And then he's like, call the police, call the police. He's like, I'm a civilian of this country. And, and, and then eventually they did call the police and he got arrested. So then the police came and, and they said, put your arms up and walked towards me. And they said, okay, as soon as he put his arms up, then they said, oh, drop the knife. And I said, and I thought to myself, drop the knife. I'm like, there's an armed man behind me. Like, like, oh my god. And so after he was forced to leave, then the teller was a bit more um accommodating to me. And so she came over and put the form on my uh on my tray of my wheelchair and um so okay, here's what we'll do and she grabs like an ink pad and put my finger on the ink pad and then uh, pressed my finger on the form so that like my fingerprint was on it instead of instead of signature. Uh, a signature. And I mean that's a very original idea. Um, I mean, think about it. that's a very innovative idea. And I think personally, now thinking about it, that should actually be used as a form of signature. If you can't, if you can't write because everyone's fingerprints are different. Yeah, exactly. It is technically the perfect signature. Because it, it can't, be, it can't yeah. be fake, so it's more, it's better than a signature. So, yeah, that, that's actually very innovative. But I, w I would want, because banks and businesses must have policies in place for people who can't, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and then she started to walk away, and then I'm like, oh, can you please help me wash my finger off. And then she's like, what, why, why? Uh, well, because you put my finger on the ink pad, so my finger has ink on it now. And she didn't realize that. She's like, oh, wow, yeah, you're right. Sorry. And then she grabbed like, uh, like one of those like alcohol swabs. Alcohol, and, yeah. yeah. I think, yes, because they're not, I wouldn't say it's because they're not trained, but it's because they just, don't know yeah yeah and i think the only way to to sort well to sort that whole situation out would be you would need to have a disability consultant go into businesses and tell them 
okay in this situation you can do this in that situation you can do this because like you said the solution is very easy ink pad fingerprint done wipe finish absolutely absolutely but because it's not well known people don't know how to do it and then yeah it sort of gets forgotten well, and maybe so, maybe that's something as a business that you and I can come up with. Just uh, in is Dis- disability it, consult. I mean, it would. I mean, I am doing a bit of disability work on the side. I told you about my uh, company. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. I I find that amazing. So and we're told, doing a lot of stuff now. Yeah, I told my mom about that one thing you were telling me about, and her mind just blew up. She's like that mind-blown emoji. I mean, this is, I mean, the whole premise is that the solutions to the problems are simple solutions. Yeah. It's just you need someone who's gone through it first person to understand how to solve them. Yeah, the actual product itself, or application, or whatever. Yeah, you know, as in, you know, things being sore when you exercise. The actual application of it is easy, but to think about it, to even realize it's a problem for a lot of people, that's where the sort of innovation comes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mm. absolutely, and um. Yeah, well, it's just like uh, um, when I was younger, um, I don't know about uh, the UK, but in, when you're in uh, high school, in order to graduate, you need to do 50 hours of volunteer service uh, as well. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, and I was actually hired to um, do a accessibility audit of a couple of music festivals here in Ottawa and um uh and so it was it was um an honor to be asked that first of all um but second of all I told them like okay well yeah I I would love to do something like that but um I'm gonna need a team of people to help me out because you know, I I don't I only experience uh, these events as I experience it as a pers- as a physically disabled individual. I don't experience mm. I don't know what it is like as a deaf person or a blind individual or someone with a cognitive disability. And so um, they sort of accepted that um, that that theory and uh so i hired a team and uh and then we assessed it all and then i kind of put together a big um accessibility audit uh paper or uh form for them and then they took those ideas in and then adapted it to future uh um festivals Mm. yeah no i mean that's what most i'd say most organizations need is yeah because for example i only know life from my physical disability i don't know how deaf people work or how blind people work like you said but i think on top of that though and if you have any sort of disability you've seen to look at stuff from a different angle and you look at stuff, you look at problems differently. Yeah. And you solve them in a different way too. I think that's the main thing. We solve problems differently, which leads me on to my next point is we solve problems differently but people don't realize we solve different we solve problems differently so if you apply that to a work situation for example 
we can come up with solutions that other people would never think of. Yeah, it's true. But and also another, they might even they they might not even realize that it's a problem for people with disabilities. They might not even realize exactly. But then again, do you find that you're not given the chance to show that you can find the problems? Um. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I find that there's certain people also that are so closed-minded that um, they are taught to do certain tasks in certain ways. And then, therefore, they, they just don't accept doing it in a manner that, uh, that is more suitable to your needs and your abilities. Um, like for instance, uh, I remember when I was in my undergrad and I was living at home, um, I would hire private care staff and, um, you know, I'd read resumes and do interviews and things like that. And a lot of the time, um, obviously a lot of the time I would interview them still, but most of the time, if their main qualifying um uh thing on their resume that they focused on was that they are a trained uh psw uh or if people don't know that means a personal support worker uh at, through a, a college or something like that i would i would i would not necessarily put that as a positive thing in fact, I would put mark that down as a negative thing because I found that people with those types of training were were more closed minded and not um whether uh not open to the idea that they could um do uh, accomplish those same tasks but in a slightly different way um that were more suitable to my needs also so you think that obviously to get that qualification they're trained in a certain way yeah and they won't veer off from that training whatsoever i mean yeah you do i, I would say you do get that i mean that's what is interesting i think because i can bring this full circle back to sport now because well in my experience the only reason I am very good at or I play cricket at the high level that I do is because of my coach and because my coach was open-minded about, okay, he's got this problem, he can't do this, but he can still do everything if we just change this one little thing and it all just works. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you get the people who are closed-minded who, who think they're, you know, they, don't, they know the answer. They you know, want to put what they've learned into practice, but then you also get the people who, you know, they know what works, they know what you can't can do, they know what you can't do, and they fold it all together, and pop, and you know, a whole different situation pops out where which works individually for you. It may take longer, and some people don't have the patience for that. Understand that. But when it works, it works tremendously well, in my experience. Yeah, exactly. And if those people are willing to take the time to learn those adaptations or accommodations, then um, then it, it, it works perfectly well for everybody. And also, you know, it may be that... Um, that I need to adapt the thing that works for me um, in a certain slight way uh, to adapt for certain characters uh, who mm. need to do those things in just a bit different way. And I'm, you know, I, I find that I'm always open-minded to that. And if they are open-minded to 
being or trying things in that different way, I would be more open-minded to trying things in a slightly different way that that uh, would help them to accomplish my goals for my needs. And yeah. and so it's all about it's all about compromise in the end. I think the well the main thing that you have to have is an open mind. Once you have the open mind, I think the sky's the limit because I mean the the other stuff comes just as an add-on because you know. Yeah. That's just comes with experience. But having the open mind, if you don't have the open mind, none of it is possible at the start anyway. Yeah, exactly. So it's that's I think that's the most important. I mean if I can relate I think that's what happened at my school so my coach at my club had the open mind and worked with me to make you know everything work the school i don't know if it was because there was more people or something yeah but they were very you know stuff works like this you have to do it like that yeah deal with it yeah but then that comes full back i'm going to link all this background again to all it requires is a bit of training from people like you and me. Like you said, you ran that consultation for the audit for the for the uh, for that company. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all interlinked. This is what we. This is what I've understood now. It's all it's all interlinked, and every every piece has to bounce off the other piece in order for everything to work. Yeah. But then, unfortunately, everything comes down to funding. This is what I've noticed. Yeah, absolutely it does. Do you think, I mean, what you obviously did the consultation for the company. Was it a, did you think it was a reasonable price that you charged? I mean, I don't need to know the actual price, but in comparison, I don't know how you would value that audit um to be honest i i i did it voluntarily you did it voluntarily yeah i did it for my high school volunteer hours yeah okay okay so then yeah obviously they will accept it and do it yeah but (laughs) if if you okay let's say we were to you were to do it as a career let's say someone wants to do it as a career yeah absolutely they want to obviously I see it like this. They want to make they want to live, but they also want to help people. I see it like that. Okay. The price I don't I wouldn't know how to price it accordingly. Um, I think uh well my personal like thought on that immediately would be um would be something like just um, how many hours did it take? Okay, well, uh, that means that you can pay me a minimum number of hours, and at this rate, you know, whether it's like the standard minimum wage or I have my own rate because I've got, I think. If you've got um, a number of different clients who have uh, entrusted you and made changes that you have suggested that end up helping their business, um, and then you can they can vouch for you. I, I would say that. Uh, I would say then you can increase your price a bit more. Mm. Would, would you would you agree with that? I mean, I as I'm sort of trying to think of it now, I would, from my personal thought process, would be, I mean, because this is from, I'm thinking like how I would run my company if I was to do it, you know, implement it right now. I would probably do it for a standard rate whatever that standard rate may be. Okay. But then if if it's successful and they start 
making a rev making you know a decent revenue impact due to not only the people they hire which are have disabilities but those ideas that the disability people the people with disabilities provide and it changes i would say if i have to go back and do another audit i would then obviously have to take that into account and see exactly and times it by a, the original price by a percentage of what I think would be necessary from the advancements that the company has made. So if the company didn't make any advancements, then I would do it for the same rate. If the company's made advancements, I'd do it for a higher rate. Yeah, um, I think... Because I think that shows me that they are taking my advice on board. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um I think that uh like you say, um if they I think that I would maybe I'm I heard you wrong, but I think I would charge at a higher rate for the first assessment. And then I would and charge then discount it. What's that? And then discount it. Exactly. If if they made uh, for you know check-ins and then um, discounted even more if they listened to my suggestions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I so you did it. You do it the, the reverse. But yours might actually be a better way. I don't know. I'm just. I mean, my end goal is that I just want to help people the best way. Yeah. Possible. But so, then again, I think my way would only only work if they were forced into uh doing these assessments. This is the thing, I don't want to force a company to do the assessments. I want them to do them voluntarily. Yeah. I want them to realize that they're missing a huge sort of great they're missing huge brain power just because they yeah. don't have a ramp for example i mean yeah most companies have a ramp but you know what i mean yeah so i don't know it's the big thing that i'm trying to crack yeah well and that's the thing that i um, put on when I was in, I wrote my master's thesis on uh, academic accessibility in the post-secondary world. And I used uh, my university, Charlton University, as a guinea pig, or as a case study. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Carlton, um prides itself on being the most accessible university in Canada. Um, and that is it is, the most accessible university, do you think? Well, I mean, it is uh, accessible for many reasons, including, uh, I would say, for three, three main reasons. Um, and that is, one, physical accessibility. Um, and meaning every single building on campus is attached by an underground tunnel system. And really? yeah, and so you can spend months on end or even years, hypothetically, never going outside. That's not necessarily a good thing, but no, it's not, it's not, but. Um, you know, when you're living in Canada and it's winter time, um, uh, yeah, I can it's, see, it's yeah, more accessible no. because then you don't have to continue to take on and put on and take off your winter jacket. Um, and unless you have uh, help with you to do those things, um, then it's not very accessible. Uh, but uh, that's the First reason is physical accessibility. Second reason is academic accessibility. 
and they have like a uh what they call the Paul Menton Center. And it is a department unto its own that um sort of helps individuals find uh academic accommodations for that's suitable to their disabilities. Um so whether that be uh extended time for um uh assignments or exams or um different writing styles or different presentations uh and also um you know getting their your reading trend like uh, transcripted into different formats uh for instance um i when i began my undergrad i started getting all of my textbooks put into audio format um but that didn't end up working and then i ended up putting it into pdf formats and that worked and then you know they, they they're very good at helping you find your needs and and then finally another way is that um they have what they call the attendant services program where uh they hire university students to work as attendants uh on university campus so you could live on camp on the residencies and be cared for by uh um, fellow students ah okay so it gives hmm. i mean i can see that word i can see how that would work but yeah all combined it does sound very accessible especially i mean i think from the problem of London is that London is a very old city. Yeah. And the buildings are very old. Yeah. So apart from the few new buildings, all the old buildings, which most of the universities are in old buildings because, you know, they're institutions. Yeah. Um, the, the accessibility of the ones that I've been to, I mean, they've all been kind of mostly refurbished because of the laws and things that have been put into place but for, i think for offices and things the accessibility it's a wild west you could they will, they will either be really good at accessibility or no accessibility yeah and because of the old buildings it's there's not much the companies can do unfortunately even if they wanted to exactly well it's all about um uh what do you call it it's all about your um uh, oh the old uh infrastructure that's the word infrastructure and you know europe is surrounded by infrastructure that's hundreds if not thousands of years old you know um and that's why like when my sister visits europe <laughs> She's always telling me how there is, she never sees um, an individual with uh, physical disabilities out on the streets. And um, that, in my mind, that is exhibit A of why disability is a social issue rather than a medical issue. Because, you know, the the medical perspective is that you are the problem. Whereas the social one is that um, talk, it, it talks about how your environment is causing your disability. And that if you are surrounded with the proper infrastructure and tools, you would be perfectly... Um, able able bodied or capable to yeah, do... be able to flourish as I as I like to say. Yeah, or as yeah. I like to say, you'd be able to thrive. Yeah. I think also the the one thing to keep in mind though is 
that yes, it is a social issue, but also they can't make everything hundred percent accessible. No. To be realistic, to be realistic, they can't yeah. make it. So, I think it's all about picking and choosing the battles to win and lose. Really, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, it is. Thank you for listening to the Disability Podcast, where we explore the diverse experiences and perspectives of people with disabilities. This was the first part of a discussion with Hollis Pierce, and I hope you enjoyed it. Check out his podcast, which will have the second part in the link below. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and learned something new about living with disabilities. If you want to know more about Hollis and his work, check out the links below. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Disability Podcast. Until then, stay safe and stay curious. If you want to be on an episode, don't hesitate to get in touch from the links in the show notes and we'll start a discussion. Goodbye.